Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. Let us listen now for God's word. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him, and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? And she replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought him his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples, when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. You, you just, you gotta love John the Baptist, right? I mean, he's, he's a bit unpredictable, but there is a fire in his bones and he is not afraid to let it out. Now, John doesn't appear a whole lot uh, in the gospel narratives, but when he does, he certainly knows how to make an impression. He gets especially short shrift in Mark's gospel. You know, in Mark, we just kind of see him out in the desert, wearing his camel hair, eating locusts, baptizing people, and constantly telling them about the one who is to come after him, the one who will baptize the people with the Holy Spirit. And then after Jesus is arrested, we learn that uh, I'm sorry, after Jesus was baptized by John, we learn that John is then arrested. And then we have this strange account of his execution at the hands of Herod. Now, Matthew's gospel fills in some of those gaps for us. We get a, a, a bit uh, more, a broader picture of who John was. And, and we see John out in, in the, the wilderness, you know, preaching to the people about repentance. And then some Pharisees come out to him to see him, and he, he calls them a brood of vipers. You know, he's got this, this fire again. He, he ominously warns them. 
Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So as you can see, John is not one to mince words. Now today's reading opens up with with Herod, Rome's puppet king in the region, fretting about this man Jesus, wondering who he is, because apparently word has begun to spread about him. Who is this man, they wonder. Rumors are swirling that he might be John, raised from the dead. Others think he might be Elijah, or a prophet like the prophets of old. But Herod, arrogant as ever, assumes that it must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead, and possibly back for revenge. You may remember uh, the song that goes, You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you, right? Well, Herod is convinced that this song is about him, even though it really has nothing to do with him. Interestingly, the, the majority of today's reading is actually a flashback. It's the narrator filling us in about John's death and uh, perhaps why it may have left Herod a bit shaken. Herod was strangely hesitant to even arrest John, according to Mark, but did so at the request of his wife, his brother Philip's former wife, Herodias. Now, apparently news had spread about this uh, salacious relationship, and John had been badmouthing them uh, around, around town, telling the folks who came out to hear him preach that their relationship was unlawful, according to the law of Moses. Now, this may seem like petty gossip, but it further exposed the hypocrisy of the so-called king of the Jews, who didn't even live according to the law of Moses. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, tells us that John had garnered quite a following, uh, bad-mouthing Herod. And Herod was growing increasingly concerned about a possible insurrection, a revolt in the region. So his public calling out of this unlawful relationship was more than mere gossip. It exposed the injustice of the entire imperial system that uh, John and his Jewish uh, brethren were exposed to. But John broke the cardinal rule of social relationships. Everyone who has ever been to a family Thanksgiving dinner knows that it is improper to discuss religion and politics around the dinner table, right? You just don't do that. And, and we certainly never mix our religion with our politics. Those are separate things. Well, John mixed religion and politics out in public, and he paid the price for it. It's, it's no surprise that many people speculated that he might have been Elijah himself or one of the prophets of old because he seems to have possessed some of that same prophetic fire. You know, apparently, the, the prophets of Israel never got the message that we shouldn't sully religion with politics because they were constantly speaking truth to power, calling out corrupt monarchs who neglected the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the alien. And it's actually a, a rather uh, uniquely modern idea that those two things don't mix. And it's kind of strange, especially you know, when many of us still claim to, to live in a Christian nation, Right? or at least uh, claim that we were founded on these Christian principles. And particularly with the the recent Supreme Court decision, there's been a glut of comments from from many Christians, including presidential candidates, who worry that as a nation we are turning our backs on the biblical values that not only formed this country, but, but also that continue to hold it together. 
There's even a, a small movement brewing of, uh, to train evangelical pastors for careers in politics, to, to leave the pulpit and go into, uh, into, into politics, to run a successful political campaign. So, you know, those kinds of things make, make me wonder, well, well, which is it, right? I mean, do religion and politics go together or not? And in fact, in, in our Reformed tradition, the tradition from which our denomination was born, there is a long and rich history of political and civic engagement guided by our faith. In fact, John Calvin once said that there is no higher calling than that of a civil magistrate. It's one of those passages uh, from Calvin that drives ministers crazy, right? I thought we had the highest calling, right? Come on. But to the apparent chagrin of some, we do still live in a democracy, right? Not a theocracy. And with democracy, sometimes there are compromises that we have to make. We may not always be comfortable with those compromises. We may even wish things were different sometimes. But this is the reality and the tension of the American experiment. And we feel this very real tension because often the ideals of our democracy can lead us to places that might clash with our own personal morals and ideals. You know, so to use a, a non-religious example, you, you probably remember the, the recent dust-up just up the road at Valdosta State University when some demonstrators were stomping on and desecrating the American flag. Now, many people had a, a visceral reaction to that kind of callous treatment because for most Americans, that is the symbol of freedom, right? And represents so many of the ideals of what this nation stands for. Many people gave their lives defending that flag and defending this country. So we see it as a slap in the face to those brave veterans. But as much as we may despise that action, living in a country such as ours, which maintains and defends the right to free speech and free assembly, we do have to allow for demonstrations, even ones that make our blood boil, we have to allow that they are afforded the same rights and protections. It can be infuriating, but this is a tension that will remain as long as we continue to maintain those democratic ideals. John the Baptist and the Hebrew prophets did not know this same tension. They lived under either, it was always either a theocratic rule or they were subjects under a foreign imperial uh, rule. John the Baptist wasn't entitled to freedom of speech or many of the same freedoms that we often take for granted. The arbitrariness of his execution at the hands of the state for simply criticizing Herod Antipas's relationship with his former sister-in-law turned wife shows, uh, in many ways, how different their world was from ours. But even in a potentially hostile environment, even if it might cost him his life, John didn't shy away from speaking truth to power. And it's precisely prophets like John who magnify that tension for me. Prophets who are fearless in the face of corrupt power structures, who speak out for the cause of justice no matter what the potential cost. And I'm particularly aware of this tension as I stand here behind a pulpit week after week in a position of authority, struggling with what, what is appropriate and what is not. You know, when I'm deeply moved by something going on in our world and feel compelled to say something, I often wonder, you know, is this, is this a dangerous mixture of religion and politics here? Or, you know, what if others see it differently than I do? 
And this, for me, gets to the heart of the matter. John seemed to be quite certain that his words were directly from God, that he was, in some way, a mouthpiece for God. Now, he was a prophet sent by God on a very specific mission to prepare the way for the Messiah, God's anointed. He truly was a prophet of God. Am I? Are we in that same way? I mean, sure, I'm called to ministry. We're called to serve in different ways, in different places, at different times. I'm called to serve God by, serve, by serving God's people in this place. And sometimes that does mean being willing to say some difficult things. But are we really supposed to sound like John? Because to be honest, that's, that's not the guy that I typically want to invite to Thanksgiving dinner, right? You never know what he's going to say. I don't know if this is exactly the person that I want to be emulating in my life and ministry. Besides, it didn't exactly end well for him, did it? John spoke with passion and fire and an absolute confidence that his words were God's words. And quite frankly, I don't exactly share that same conviction. And I often find myself pretty suspicious of Christians who do the ones who claim to be speaking as if their words were God's words. One of my biggest struggles in, in the whole religion and politics thing is, is how we say that politics and religions don't mix, yet we often uh, also can't conceive of any other Bible-believing Christian who might think differently about a certain issue or have differing opinions about how to navigate that tension between uh, the ideals of our democracy, and our personal and moral beliefs. If the Bible spoke as clearly on every issue as we often pretend that it does, there'd be one denomination. There'd be one church. But there's not. What it comes down to for me is not whether religion and politics mix, but how we mix them, and what that looks like, how they inform one another, and specifically, how we talk to each other about it. The question, I think, is can we, like John, speak truth to power, speak with prophetic fire in our bones, call out injustice when we see it, while also recognizing that other, deeply faithful Christians might see it differently? And can we have those conversations without, like Herod, taking people's heads off? The truth is, usually when we say that religion and politics don't mix, what we really mean is, I don't like how you mix religion and politics, but the way I do it is perfectly fine. Unfortunately, on this side of eternity, we are not all going to agree on every issue. We're not all going to think exactly the same way. But when we gather, as we will today, around this table, the table prepared for us by our Savior, everything that, that divides us, dissolves away, if even only for a brief moment. Because this is the table that breaks down the dividing walls of hostility. Christ invites us to the table on this day to be nourished and sustained by Him. Our political parties don't sustain us. Our ideologies that divide us can't sustain us. Only Christ, the bread of heaven, sustains us through the madness of our divisions. So, on this day, let us come 
to the table of Christ with open hearts to be united with Him and with one another. Amen.